Glad to be here. Teresa, my wife, sends her greetings. She's on the Appalachian Trail. If you look at Adkins, Virginia, she'll be staying there tonight. She's walking 15, 20 miles in the rain today because it's raining all day. But I know she'll be staying there. I have a little satellite thing I can follow her with. And I, I'm happy. It's raining on you. It's not raining on me. <laughs> um, but see, she loves it. So that's awesome. I endure it. So... This is actually part two of a message that I preached in Two Rivers the last couple of times I was there. I wanted to speak on grace and mercy. I started studying grace, realized that it's actually at least two messages. It's for like half a year's messages. But what, what always attracts me is the second part of it, which is enabling grace. But it's not fair to talk about grace without giving kind of a roundup on it because it's it's just a Bible teacher that I was in Argentina that says you just can't give a standalone without a little introduction. Saving grace is what we did. We're going to review right now. Enabling grace is where I'm headed. So a review, grace gives me what I do not deserve. Right? That's too far. Grace gives me what I do not deserve. Well, what, what are some of those things? Forgiveness, acceptance, a clean slate, a new beginning. It's actually more than that. But then God's grace also gives enablement for life and ministry, and this is a part of grace that even the charismatic Pentecostal church misses. We tend to think it's all for salvation, but actually everything in the Christian life is grace. And the word for spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 is spiritual graces. The word is not gift, look it up. It's spiritual graces. So it talks about the nine supernatural manifestations of spiritual grace, which means they are not earned or deserved. One of the things that's holding you back if you're born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit from having the grace of God flow through you in that way is you think you have to earn it. You think you have to deserve it and you will never earn it and you will never deserve it. Now, it's wrong to classify people as spiritually mature when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are flowing because their graces, character, is what you measure leaders by. And we talked about this in the men's retreat. The qualifications of elders are by and large character, and it doesn't talk once about having spiritual gifts. We got to get that right because we follow TV preachers and a bunch of different crazy people because they're gifted, but they have no character. Amen. And the thing about a local church versus something you watch on video is you can tell whether or not they really are who they are. Because you don't want somebody pretending here and living some other way. That's not the leader that God wanted over the church. So God's grace gives enablement for life and ministry. Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, and the world has been screwed up ever since. Now, whenever I come here, I get this intellectual thing that comes on me defending the faith because it's, it's talking to those demons over there in that direction. People say this, well, if God is a good God and loving God, why did he create such a mess? And the answer is, he didn't create a mess. He created the Garden of Eden. Now I say, how was it? <laughs> Perfect. Who screwed it up? Oh, we did. Yeah, don't blame God. 
Don't blame God for this mess. And see, you need to know that as a young person, God didn't do this. We did it. If you want to be humanistic, you get the end result of the God you worship. And you do not want to worship a human God because this mess we got, this is ours. This is, this is the work we do. God does a way better job. So a couple of things that I talked about when I gave this message in Two Rivers was... Your mistakes are not greater than God's grace. Some of you believe that. How do I know that? People in my church believe that. How do I know it? Some men came up in the men's retreat believing that. Your mistakes are not greater than God's grace. Sorry. You may be good at sinning, but you're not that good. (laughs) Two, God has more grace than your disgrace. This is this element of I feel condemned, I feel disqualified. Hey, Turn that thing around. It qualifies you because you got it under the blood and you got it forgiven and you got the shackles broken and now you have something to say. I try to be politically correct. I'm not. You need to hear me. Every single letter of that rainbow group, know who I'm talking about? We have seen every single letter get saved and delivered. Every single one. The last one being a cross-dressing man. Completely delivered. Yes. Young people need to know that the argument is broken when people get healed from it because they say you are born that way. If that statement is true, then the Bible is a lie. So you got a chance or a responsibility to go, Bible or human wisdom? Bible or human reason? Now, I don't do book sales, but uh, promotions, but there is a book called uh, The Return of the Gods. And I'm not saying the book is perfect, because I don't think it is. It talks about all the bad, and it gets to the back page, and it gives about five pages to the good. I think you should give more than equal service to the good versus the evil. But... The research is done there to show you that basically the deities, small d, that are running America are the same ones that were in Canaan, and I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. When you see uh, Ishtar, who's a god in the name of Persia, that is the god of the transgender. And you can see it in Standing Wall in New York City, and you can see it all over. This is not new stuff. This is old stuff. And the power that broke it was Christianity 2,000 years ago. This stuff existed in Judaism, but Judaism did not have the Holy Spirit. That book is written by a born-again rabbi, and he points out, when the gods of Canaan were truly beaten, see, they were beaten militarily, some of them. Some of the Israelites didn't get out. But when they were broken was when Jesus Christ died, was raised again, ascended to heaven, and poured out the promise of the Father. From that point, not militarily or physically, those gods were broken. And the reason why they're back is because we kicked God out of American culture. So the territory that we vacated, they have now assumed. We still win because the Holy Spirit's with us. Three. Yeah. Amen. God will not define you by your worst mistake. The only two people that define you by your worst mistake is Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brother, and that's what Satan means, and you. 
sometimes other people in the church. God does not define you by your worst mistake. Just turn that thing around. Use what you learn from being stupid for being godly. Don't let it disqualify, let it qualify you. Hey, I am a testimony to the fact that that doesn't work. This Jesus does. Just makes a better testimony. Now, one theological definition of grace would be God's unmerited divine favor. Doesn't that sound theological? Now, a favor from which come many gifts. And a lot of times, and believe me, I've been to seminary, people will write very eloquently of stuff that they haven't even experienced. But they want to be correct. Grace is God's unmerited divine favor and a favor from which comes many gifts, but even they won't pursue God until they get the gift. Many gifts come. Don't want them, but, or don't think I can have them. And see, that's kind of the bedrock of what happened in American Christianity that things got taken over. We need to believe that God's unmerited favor is giving many gifts. But a working definition for daily life is God's grace gives you what you do not deserve. And that's awesome. It gives, gets away a lot of performance Christianity. It gets rid of Pharisees and Sadducees in the church too. It, it just gets rid of lots of icky stuff. But this whole sweating so that you can earn gifts it's gone because you don't sweat and earn gifts. You believe and you rest and God pours out gifts. Then you use his gifts and instead of taking the glory, because you would if you earned it, when the power comes, you give him the glory because it was his grace. People taking credit for what God does is very dangerous and stinky. Okay, it's very stinky. Mercy keeps you from what you do deserve. Now. I really do not want to receive what I do deserve. I understand that I deserve hell. I'm glad I'm not getting it. How about you? And even when we sin and we blow it, sometimes there are consequences of sin, and God graciously shelters us so that when we we can repent, pick up ourselves, and go better on in life without doing that in repeated times. Now, what I talked about, and this is his, this saving grace, there's saving grace that saves. And you know the verse, hopefully, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Did you see the for by grace? You don't get saved by works. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Can it get any clearer so that no one may boast? There's saving grace. Now remember, God's grace gives you what you don't deserve. You don't deserve salvation, but if you humble yourselves, repent of your sins, and ask for Jesus' gift, which he can give you because he paid for it, he worked for it, you can have it. If you haven't done that yet, you need to do that. Then, I have to put this up here is justification. There's a little phrase that comes from that, just as if I never sinned. Now, many of us still under human thinking get in trouble here because it should be just as if I never sinned, but we live as a Christian just like I sinned. And we're condemned, happened at the men's retreat, man will come up, I just can't overcome what I did. 
Well, my question is, did you repent? Yes. Are you born again? Yes. Then he erased it. See, you got to get this down. This is why for enabling grace, we cannot go past justifying grace. And we got to separate a little bit from saving grace, even though you could make the argument that they're the same, because this is a place where the Satan trips us up. So we come and we've sinned the same sin 253 times, but we've sincerely asked God to forgive us. We're not practicing sin like 1 John. We did want to be forgiven. We did not want to do it again. And so we come and we're thinking as we approach the throne of grace, this is 253 times. And, oh, God, I'm sorry. I know I've been here 253 times before, but... And God goes, what do you mean? This is your first time. See, if he forgives you and he forgets it, then this is the first time you came. We don't live that way. So we're living like, well, you know, when I was a kid, I did a lot of bad stuff. No, stop it. Well, you know, I had an affair. Stop it. Did you repent? Is it under the blood? You need to forget it, and your partner needs to forget it. It's under the blood. Do not live like that which God forgot is still there. Wrong thinking. So, then you've got sanctification. Now, this is important because it's in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? This is a common error when people learn about grace. They think, well, if it's free and well, if you can get more by sinning, then let's keep sinning. No, sinning always has a negative consequence. You want to sin as little as possible. It always hurts you. Even if you're forgiven for it, it hurts you. If you get somebody pregnant when you're 16, guess what? For the next 40 years, there is still a consequence called your son or daughter. And they are not a mistake. What you did was a mistake. And you better treat them like they are God's will, because they are. Because God's so powerful, he can take your mistake and make an amazing blessing. Yeah, yeah right? One person came up and said, you know, uh, I'm, the, I'm the product of, of rape. James Robeson, the great evangelist, was the product of rape. This is why we don't do abortion then. Her mother was violently raped by someone in her father's business, and she was going to go get the abortion, and she heard the voice of God say, do not abort this baby, because he's destined. He is destined for the salvation of many and the transformation of the world in which he walked. He's been one of the greatest evangelists of the 20th century, and a little bit now. He's, he's elderly now. See, God can do with the mistake what no human can do. Teaching grace... For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, not some, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. We need to respond to teaching grace, which means this is a gift that I don't deserve. I can actually have the power to not go back and roll in the mud. I don't have to eat my vomit anymore. I can be broken off from it. And I can be saved from the stupid idea that if I keep sinning, I'll get more grace, which is, it's just wrong. The, there's this instructing, teaching grace or sanctifying grace that breaks the habit and the power of sin in your life. And we need to live that way. Why would I want to continue to do something that is negative? I want to make that a stepping into a life that is free. So, 
Here's our message today, enabling grace. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, I'll tell you the reason why I got in a car and came to this church the very first time in 1979, is I wanted to see this verse in action. I'd read enough charismatic Pentecostal books to know that this was the only place in Christianity People who believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and people who believed that there were gifts that were supernatural for today. And I have been in pursuit of this ever since, 1979, probably 78. I believe this verse is not only true for the day it was written, I believe this verse is true for today. Now we miss it a little bit because in context it's wrapped with this communal living of the church. Now, Christian communes have been wrong all through history. But every nation I can think of, don't do it. It's a bad idea. I'm just going to tell you, you odds are getting burned in a Christian commune are about 99.9. I'll just give a little slack for a while. But at this time, God did something supernatural because he was actually preparing the entire known world at that time, which is basically the, round, the, the land surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, these Jewish people who were of the diaspora, they came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit, then they stayed in Jerusalem for a number of years to be trained to go back. That's the only reason why this is, because there is no instruction in Christianity to do the same. And I, I know people, you know, they, they think it's idyllic and they want to return to it, and I've just only seen people drinking Kool-Aid. So don't do it. But let's go back to the verse. And with great power, it doesn't say with some power, it doesn't say with a weak power, it says with great power. The word is dunamis. Dunamis, the word we get dynamite from. This was great power. It had to be a great enough power that everybody around knew it was great power. And around them are witches, warlocks, people that serve all kinds of false gods. Why did Christianity beat all these gods with small g? Why? They're inspired by demonic power. They have some power. Why did Christianity defeat them? Because Christianity has greater power. God is omnipotent. These demons are finite in power. I'm not saying they don't have power. I'm not saying they can't do some things that kind of come across as being something. But when they get confronted with Jesus, the party is over. Amen. Party's over. Yep, amen. So... Unless you want to be a Jehovah Witness, you've got to read your Bible with a little bit of integrity and honesty. And with great power, they testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that needs to be done for this generation as much as it needed to be done for that generation. Their gods that were controlling the world there have returned here. Instead of living in fear, we should go, hey, this, this is just another scrimmage in a game God already won. You know, God already won this thing. We have good data that Jesus wins over every principality in power, no matter what their strength is from the human point of view. But you've got to be honest and say, does my life exhibit great power? And if it doesn't, you need to fix it. But this teaching that the church doesn't need miracles to testify the resurrection of Jesus Christ is crazy. It's still a fantastical idea if it isn't demonstrated to be true. 
yeah, you know, we had this guy and he died and then he got up again. And everybody's going, and what were you drinking? Where'd you come up with this idea? What have you been smoking? And then you go, no, I'm not kidding you. Jesus Christ died and rose again. He's actually not dead, he's alive. He lives in me, and so here, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. In the name of Jesus, go! And the demon leaves. Miracles happen. Why? See, these are to testify the resurrection of Jesus. And very incorrect people, instead of admitting that they didn't have the great power to testify the resurrection, came up with theology that we don't need the power today. You know, we have the Bible and we don't need power. We need power. We need power. People, people aren't reading the Bible. Nowadays, the only Bible a lot of people in America are going to read are you. And they need to see God moving through you. They need to see something that they don't see in what they're into. And how many people in Madison, Wisconsin, and their surrounding environs, just name your town, are doing witchcraft? Witchcraft is on the greatest increase we have ever seen. It is not unusual for large churches, even of this size, to have a couple of witches in church. That, for a long time, was not true. But when we abdicated power in the Christian church, people left the church to go find it. In Argentina, one out of two people has went and consulted a witch. And they consult the witch for money, power, and love. Because they don't think that God has enough power and even care enough for money, power, love, and that whole deal. You know, whatever, whatever humans want. So you know where they go? In South America, very close to every cathedral is a santeria. And in the Santeria, they have statues that look like Mary and Joseph and all that, but they're actually dedicated to African gods. Now, in Argentina, they call it Umbanda, but in the Caribbean, they call it Voodoo. And it came from Africa and came down the coast. Well, now it's going up because we left out the power of God that demonstrated that Jesus was alive. Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And there's a group of America that's gonna say, well then show me. We have a Muslim guy who got saved. Why? Because his daughter was healed in church in our healing rooms of an incurable brain tumor. He's now Christian. How did you break that Islamic devil? His daughter getting healed of an incurable disease. And I could continue on and on. This is our portion as children. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, it's, there's two ways to read that the all belongs to the apostles, and it means all the apostles had great grace. I don't think so. I think it means great grace was on all of the people and growing, and how do I know and what data do I have? In Acts chapter 8, when there's a persecution that, sh- that makes all of these people leave town, go home and go, and all along the way, they testify of the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ with signs and wonders. But the Bible verse says everybody left town, everybody left Jerusalem except the apostles. So we know that these garden variety, normal, everyday people were walking in the power of God. All terminal illnesses that have been healed in Two Rivers Church have not been healed by a pastor laying hands on someone. It has always been a, quote, layman. Now, I hate the term because I don't think they exist. We're all teammates. But let's just say it. People who don't pull a check for being 
a Christian, were the ones who laid hands on the people who got healed of their terminal illness. Yeah, and you know what? Most of the demons we cast out, which are a lot, are not done by pastors. Now, I have lots of stories because we do it a lot, and some come by me, and I know the story. There's a bunch of stories of deliverance that I don't even know because casting out devils is normal for us. It's normal. It's just normal. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Deal with it. Gone. Goodbye. Right? Great power. They testified of the resurrection. Great grace was upon them all. Now, I'll just tell you one deliverance story because you need to hear that God does this. This guy came from like Indiana, Ohio. I can't remember what city he's from because his sister goes to our church and she actually is the only person that I know personally who's been delivered of Jezebel. Jezebel's a powerful thing and it destroys churches. She's completely free. So her brother, hearing her testimony, he's crazy. He's certified crazy. He's got a diagnosis of crazy. And so he, he came over to see her, and, 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 and she said, would you see my brother? And I said, be happy to see your brother. So he comes in, and he walks through my office door, and I get this, this word, Iraqi imam. Now, I know he's from the United States. I know he was born in the United States. He's Caucasian. I know he has a Christian background. So why Iraqi imam? Well, I was kind of wondering the same. You know, I know it was in my coffee this afternoon, but okay, Iraqi imam. So I'm like, well, tell me what's going on here, dude. And he goes, well, I was in the military deployed to Iraq. Oh, oh, interesting. He goes, there was a guy in my squad who was into false religions and, and new age and all this kind of stuff. And instead of standing strong in Christianity, I listened to him. It ended up that I'm between two military vehicles in Iraq inviting Satan into my life. I mean, he grew up Christian. Do you think this is a bad idea? I mean, I'm not even going to invite a little demon in. I'm just going to go for the big guy. You know, I don't have enough trouble in my life. Satan, would you do it? Well, here's what happened. He, he got a dishonorable discharge from the military. He got a divorce from his wife. He got a diagnosis of crazy. He's disabled. He can't do anything. And he's just destroyed. And this is now 15, 18, 20 years. So, okay, invite Satan into your life. That's unusual. I mean, you know, a lot of times people come and say, Pastor, I don't want to shock you. But pastors are like, no, shock us. Because <laughs> it's just so ordinary now. Just do something I haven't heard of. And I, this was new. I invited Satan into my life in Iraq. And I, and I look like an Iraqi imam. The beard was, it's the way they do it, short hair and... And I said, well, tell me about your beard. He says, well, you know, the longer it gets, the lazier I get, the more listless, the less hope I have. You know what? I got a thought in my mind. Dude, shave the beard. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm a farmer. He says, shave the beard. So I told him, I said, well, if I were you, I'd shave the beard. And then we prayed for deliverance. He had voices in his head going on. I mean, serious stuff. And uh, he goes... I have to concentrate to hear the voices. Okay. So he was, he was just going to get deliverance and go home, right? So next day he had a, he had a date with, with Beverly. Because Beverly does a lot of deliverance. So it was 4.30, it was his time. And I looked up from my desk and I could see into the foyer. And I saw him standing in the foyer with his beard shaved. So I went out there to just play with his... You know, I'm weird. So I just go, oh, I see you shaved your beard. And he goes, how, how, how are the voices going? And he goes, can't really hear him. 
So then he goes into Beverly's office and they're talking a little bit, little, little chit chat. And then she goes, tell me about your witchcraft. And he's like, well, excuse me. So tell me about the witchcraft you're doing. And he goes, I didn't tell you I was doing witchcraft. And she goes, well, you didn't tell me, but God did. So why don't you tell me about your witchcraft? And so he proceeds to talk about 20 minutes about all the witchcraft he's been in. Word of knowledge. Repents of it, gets delivered of it. And when he comes out, I'm there. And he says, no voices. No voices. And so he decided to move to Arizona. And I'm like, please, I have enough crazy people. I, I don't need to add to it. But I'm like, whatever, whatever trips you trigger. So he moved in with his parents. They live in a different town, but he still comes to church. And so he sits over on this side. And so every week I've been going over. Voices? Nope. Voices? Nope. He said, I'm cutting down on my medicine. So you should always do that under supervision of a doctor. You know, and you go to the doctor and say, hey, I don't hear the voices anymore. I want to cut down on my medicine. And what does the doctor say? No. Because they can't heal it. But God can heal it. The fact is, God's the only one who can heal it. So this verse, great power the apostles gave witness, I, I think we should want to live this kind of life. Now here's the deal. You say, well, I, I don't deserve it. No one does. It's grace. The fact is, the only qualification is unworthy. Are you unworthy? Yes. Good. Here's some grace. <laughs> now I want to show you a verse. If I was a Jehovah Witness... You know, they change verses they don't like that fit their theology. I'm going to show you a verse that I would change if I was a Jehovah Witness. I really am disturbed that this verse is in the Bible. Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold. That's an interesting thought for some people in ministry. But what I do have, I give to you. Now, that's the part I don't like. But what I do have, I give to you. I submit to you that you should know if the enabling grace of God is on your life. I believe it's perceivable. I believe it's conscious. I believe the enabling grace of God is tangible. I believe it is a quantity. It is God's spiritual power to do supernatural work. And he knew he had it. What I have, I give to you. And he gave it to him freely. We're big on that. I didn't get this. I didn't pay for this. I didn't earn this. I give it away free. People are like, well, let me give you some money. No. You don't give me any money. If you want to give something to church, that's a whole different deal. But you don't give me money. I get his salary. I'm not touching that money. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole because I want more grace. I don't want to cut off the flow. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. This is happening all over the world where there are Christians that believe in the enabling grace of God. Do you believe in the enabling grace of God? But are you listening to the lie that you don't deserve it? Go ahead and tell the devil the truth. Lord, I'd like some enabling grace. You don't deserve it. You're right. 
he gives it free. See, that's the answer to that voice. If it was into being worthy, I don't know who'd get some grace here today. A bunch of sinners sitting here. I mean, Christians sitting here. So, the Apostle Paul's life, what does he say? Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that, I might lead, that, that it might lead me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, Pentecostals don't like this verse because many hold that it's his eyesight and we believe that God, God doesn't give sickness and you can get healed. Other people, though, think it was Judaizers that were coming against him. But I'm actually glad that we don't know what it was because if we would have known what it exactly was, we would think that the grace of God was for that thing and not for my thing. But because God left it nebulous and it's not concretely answered, I mean, everybody's an, everybody's an expert, but they don't know either. Because it's nebulous, that means that any place you need grace is valid. I need it for my marriage. I need it for my children. I need it for my work. I need it for my body. I need it. Well, it's there. There isn't a verse that says that it's not there. It's there. And God says he wants to give it to you. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, I said it's supernatural power for supernatural work. Because notice, then it says, for power is perfected in weakness. Now, the weakness here, in my mind, is humility. Humility isn't weakness like, you know, some wishy-washy jellyfish kind of person. The weakness is I just understand that what I'm asking for, I don't have. And that God has. And whatever strength or gift or ability I have, it pales in comparison to the gift that he can give. And so you might want to translate, for power is perfected in humility. And humility is not weakness. The most humble people I know are the most powerful people. They are not doormats. They're powerful Christian people. You know, not that mature people have to tell everybody they know, but a humble Christian who knows much, when a new Christian says what they just learned from the Bible, gets excited for the new Christian. The proud, arrogant Christian says, oh yeah, God told me that 20 years ago. Well, what does that help that new Christian? I don't care if you learned it 40 years ago. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Celebrate with the new Christian. I go through these 70 Bible verses with people all the time. It's the, our, our discipleship foundations. And what, when they tell me, I ask them, what did God show you from that verse? I celebrate with them. And every now and then, I got to go, give me a pad. I got to write that down. Because as many years and decades as I've looked at this verse, I've never seen that. That is good. And that reminds me that I'm not that smart, right? Okay. So, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. This is walking in it. Okay, so there is enabling grace. How do you get it? Well, you got to go to the throne of grace. Notice that the throne of Jesus Christ is named the throne of grace. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. That's why my little series is Grace and Mercy. I want to talk about grace and mercy, but grace is big. Mercy's cool too, but grace is, grace is this stuff I don't deserve that I get. 
So we need to continually draw near with confidence. And what happens when you try to get near the throne of grace? First of all, this voice comes and says, what are you doing here? And some of us think that's God, because that's what we do. What is this bomb doing here? God doesn't say it. He sees the blood of Jesus on our heart. He's happy that we're coming. The voice is the devil. He doesn't want us. Think about it. He doesn't want us to go to the throne of grace, or it's one of his demonic minions. What are you doing here? You, you can't be here. I know what you did last summer. Right? And he's got the list. And the thing is, he does have the list. But he's one of the few that remember it because God forgot what's on the list because I put it under the blood. So it's either me, the devil, or maybe someone I know reminding me of my sin, which is not a good idea to remind your friends of a sin, or even people in your church and ministry. You got to let them go. I cast two demons out of a guy who got to where he got to because he committed adultery. They came in for marriage counseling. It was the day after it was found out. He's now one of my elders. Jesus heals. Jesus forgives. He is also the most empowered person in the gifts of the Spirit that I know. After that deliverance, he got a baptism of the Holy Spirit that I rarely see that kind of power and that has been demonstrated for the last seven years. We have no one in church like him, not even Beverly. We have nobody in church like him. And it is a clear demonstration of the grace of God. The only one talking about what he's done is either himself or the devil. Because you know what? His wife is amazing. She never rubbed his face once. She got the grace and lives it. They have a beautiful marriage today. It's just amazing. See, that's to me how it's supposed to work. So you continually draw near with confidence. Don't let anything keep you. You know, when I was a young Christian, I'd sin and I'd go, well, I can't read my Bible for three days. <sighs> Repent of your sin and open the Bible and say that to you, devil. I'm reading my Bible. The reason why I did that is because I wasn't reading my Bible. I'm back praying right now. Jesus is going to take me right now. We receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when is that, frankly? Most days. And then there's the grace for the need you didn't know you were going to have. And then there's the grace for the need that's not yours, that belongs to somebody else. We call that ministry. But basically in ministry, we have received enabling grace to help a person get through their thing. Beautiful. It's, I mean, that's, that's why I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I got saved. That's all done. I, I'm still on earth to wreck the plans of Satan for other people. Right. So whatever you want to do, we're not in it. Had a cool conversation. Two ladies were going to cast some demons out of one of their daughter. They're doing it right now. They just said, give me some pointers. Went through some pointers. Doesn't work. Here's what you do the next succeeding days. Because it doesn't take a pastor. When they were there, I said, listen, the, the only one looking at the mother, the only one who cares about your daughter is you. Nobody else cares. Satan doesn't care. Satan wants to kill her. Go over there and go over there with enabling grace from God and believe for a deliverance. Maybe it won't all come out at once, but just keep pushing. I have a church full of people. Beverly McIntyre, actually, her deliverance took two and a half years. She had so many. Our Navajos, 
we have lots of Native Americans. They generally take two years to deliver. There's so much in there. I don't understand if that's all Navajos, but they're the ones we got. And it doesn't matter what the normal is. We got these guys. But now they're so strong in deliverance because they've been set free. Yeah. Just want to mention this before we get done. This is actually the scripture that made me think that grace was not just unmerited favor for things I did wrong. It's unmerited favor for things I need to do. That is supernatural power for supernatural work. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Notice he labored. There's a human component that grace is added to. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You can translate all the graces with unmerited favor until you get to the last one, and then it doesn't work by definition. He got an enabling power of supernatural ability to continue to do what a human strength and ability could not do. Because he labored, but yet not I, but the grace of God in me. What Paul accomplished wasn't his natural ability only. It was his natural plus supernatural ability of the grace that God poured out on him. And that's what you all need every day. Now... I bring up the scripture because he is the least of the apostles. And so you come in here and you say, well, I can't get grace because I'm a sinner and I did this. Well, the apostles, Paul says, I am the foremost of sinners. So that means he's sinner number one. So the most you can be is sinner number two. And I actually don't think you're that bad. You might think your wife or husband's that bad, but no. (laughs) They're still number two. As much as you think they're number one, I married the number one sinner on earth. Well, you're not supposed to marry Satan. I doubt you did. If God forgave number one sinner, he forgives number two sinner. Paul was not a good dude. He writes a good portion of the New Testament. Think about what the grace of God does. Who's qualified for the enabling grace of God? Every single person sitting here. Every single person sitting here. Every single person sitting here. I am not that excited about coming to church and heating the seat. Oh, Pastor Tom, come here and feel warm. I made the seat. Sorry about the fart. Is that your life goal? I want to leave here. This is an encouragement to go out there and do the stuff. Go out there in life. And whoever God brings across your path, you change it. They're forever different because they met you. Because you, even being sinner number two, are enabled by God's grace to minister and to work. We cannot forget this stuff. I'm so excited. Even in Pentecost, that first year, I used to come on Sunday nights. We used to have church on Sunday nights, not just River Rising, every Sunday night. And we would pray for sick people and people would get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we thought it was how you prayed. Like you had to say God's name right. You, had, you can't say God. You have to say God. <laughs> and you got to shake their head a little bit because the demon's attached and you got to shake it off. And then, then you got to get red faced and got to spit a little bit because the spit makes it easier for the demons to come out. God. 
Oh, it didn't work, I gotta do it again. <laughs> See, it was performance-based. We thought we had to live right, and if we sinned during the day and we got the church, we're like, well, I'll probably pray for the sick or they won't get healed because I didn't have a good day. Well, it's not based on your good day. It's based on the grace of God. And in fact, if you're really growing in the Lord, one day when you are particularly your worst you, he does a miracle through you and you're like, are you kidding me? And he goes, I'm trying to teach you a lesson. It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Don't give glory to you, give glory to me, right? All right, stand with me. We're gonna go out in the world and change it with the grace of God. We're gonna get people saved, healed, delivered. We're gonna do the whole deal. There isn't any sin, there isn't any failure that God cannot overcome. And you're the messenger of that good news. You know what? It's awesome to be a salesman of a product that everybody needs. And it's awesome to be a salesman of a product that you don't have to lie about. It's like, I got to sell this thing that nobody needs, but I got to make them think they need it, and then they're going to wish they'd never bought it. <laughs> the gospel is the best news in the world, and it's the only thing that cures human problems. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you would heal, save, and deliver people through us. We pray that the gospel would be unleashed through hundreds of people who've heard this message. And they go out and touch this entire county, the state, and the world with the message of the enabling grace of God. Bless each person. May this be a life-changing week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Feel free to come down for prayer.